Good evening, Demon fans, and welcome back to the Demonland podcast. My name is Andy, and it's been 27 years since we started a year with four wins. Jack Viney was just nine days old at the time. Nothing Compares to You by Sinead O'Connor was the number one song on the Australian charts. Hey Hey It's Saturday was the number one show on TV, and Ray Martin was just about to win his third Logie Award. The internet was in its infancy, smartphones did not exist, and Demon Lamb was just a glint in my eye. Got a uh, full deck back on board again this weekend. It seems that wins bring everybody out uh, of the woodwork. Uh, Great Viney, good evening. How are you? Uh, I'm okay, Andy. Um, I'm having a little bit of trouble breathing up here in the rarefied air near the top of the ladder, so a bit of an unfamiliar uh, unfamiliar terrain for us it, it, it certainly is i you know we when it's not often we're <laughs> we're we're sort of up there with with the best of them so uh yeah we're going to take it still one week at a time uh, also joining us tonight long time demon ladder george good evening george good evening andy good evening everyone four wins in succession so uh i've rolled the uh, bandwagon out of the garage and into the driveway i've got the wheels back on and oiled up and the bath water is well and truly topped up so we're ready to go Love, love drinking that bath water. I can't get enough, uh, you know, when we win, you know, you want to watch everything, listen to everything. Um, you know, when we lose, you just want to shut everything off. But it's great to, great to be able to watch every uh, footy TV show. Uh, Bim Man, uh, welcome back to the Demonland Podcast. How are you? You might have to unmute yourself there. I'll start again. Good evening, Demon Landers. Good evening, fellas. And uh, Andy, um, I'm keeping a lid on it. We um, still haven't beaten anyone above us. Um, and uh, that gag went straight past you last week from George. So, um, did it? I I'm gonna, <laughs> you just went with the the glass half empty vibe and went, yeah, no, you're right. <laughs> so, I, just, I thought I'd try it one more time. So, yeah, no one above us is. We've beaten no one above us. No one of note, really. You know, the well, latest premiers. I must say that, uh, you know, there's a lot of moving parts, you know, when you're sort of hosting the podcast and, you know, it's things like that might slip by the keeper every now and again. Um, but uh, and I might say it might happen tonight. I'm not feeling great. Uh, I passed a COVID test. Well, is that the good? Yeah, negative is passing it, I guess. So, uh, but, yeah, hopefully... You can hear by the sound of my voice, I'm not 100%. But, uh, yeah, let's get stuck into uh, discussion of the of the match. Uh, yeah, but before we we'll talk about some individual efforts soon, but I, I thought it might be worth mentioning, you know, that despite the fact that, you know, we should have been further in front as a result of the inaccuracy, which, which can be attributed, I guess, to the inclement weather. But I thought it was very encouragement, uh, encouraging and a testament to, to the new look uh, D's outfit that we're seeing that we were able to withstand Geelong, you know, a comeback from 30 points. Well, they were 30 points down, which was whittled away to 12 points. I truly believe that the Demons teams of the past would have crumbled and perhaps lost the lead um, and not be able to wrestle control back. But we we did that. We really did that. Uh, B-Man, got any insights into, um, you know, what we did to – to sort of right the ship and, and go on with it. Well, I mean, if you, it's interesting. If you look at all of the games, I think Goodwin noted this in his presser, it's been a feature of every game. The team's come at us, the opposition's come at, come at us at some point um, and we've weathered the storm. And there's a lot of talk about trust in the media in the last few weeks around the Demons and that came out again this week. And that, you know, I think that 
the players trust themselves, the players trust the system, and we might talk about that identifiable brand a bit later, Andy, but um, um, I think there's a few factors. One, the system, um, they, the players are very confident in the system that they've got in place. They've got total buy-in. They're doing the, the right things. But it sort of becomes a, a virtuous cycle, doesn't it? Because you know, they, they showed last year a few times they were a resilient um, footy team on a few occasions, but they've been, you know, that's very much been a theme this year. Um, and the more that happens, the more it becomes a um, self-reinforcing uh, event in some ways. Um, and I don't know about you, but when even when they pushed the um, the second goal, well, both of their goals late in the third quarter felt to me as if they were against the grain. Um, they came, both of them came after we had forward half pressure and the, and the ball just leaked out the back and got away from us. Um, I, I felt, didn't feel any particular nervousness um, and, and that's the way they looked. And I, I thought the first four or five minutes of that last quarter was as impressive, a, um, you know, four or five minutes of footy. Just there, I think that their maturity, I think the other factor, um, Andy, is that maturity is that, you know, they're, they're starting to get a, a core of players around the 100-game mark with some older players like Jones and um, I was going to say Melksham. <laughs> yeah, well, Melksham. Um, you, know, yeah. you, you know, that's with with uh, experience comes a hardened sort of AFL, you know, athletic body and all of those things and the ability to withstand 120 minutes of footy, but also just the confidence of, you know, being in that situation plenty of times. So, you know, I think there's a number of factors, but they've really matured as a unit um, and they've, you know, they've got their head in the game, haven't they? George, was there any worry on your part, um, you know, going into the last quarter only being two goals up? You know, we've seen plenty of times demon teams of the past sort of uh, wilt wilt uh, under that pressure. Um, I think in the last few years we have seen uh, us, you know, be challenged and rise to it. But uh, you know, we've also seen that go the other way. Yeah, we've we've got um, uh, bitter experience and scarring from from the from previous years, haven't we? Around this, but th- this was something different. And I agree with Binman. I I never felt like they were challenging, even in that third quarter. They kicked five goals. Um, one of them, I think, came from where it bounced off Oliver's head or Petraka's head into Selwood's arms, and he kicked it forward for. I think it was Stanley to kick a goal. Um, so that was fortuitous. It wasn't as a result of Geelong playing well. Uh, the other two goals, I think uh, two other goals came towards the end of the quarter, came from Smith, uh, simply because he's such an excellent long kick. But again, it was against the run of play. So um, uh, we, we had it in control the whole time. It was just, a, it's. I think I heard also um, another coach from another side say, at some stage, um, you've got to expect that momentum will swing at some point mm. in the game, even when when teams are well and truly behind. There's going to be a period where it where you get challenged on the scoreboard at least. But um, this is a different Melbourne that are, that I'm seeing. They they didn't they just took it in their stride and they just kept on doing what they were doing. Everyone's playing their roles. Um, so yeah, I think we're seeing something very different from what we've seen in the past, which will hopefully help us cure our MFCSS a little bit. Well, it'll take more than that. Uh, <laughs> I think your premiership's the only cure for that. Uh, Ray Viney, anything you want to add? Uh... No, look, it's great to see uh, that resilience. Um, 
And I think you, know, you might have put up a stat on the board during the week that have we won the most quarters so far this year? Yeah, so there was a stat uh, that's uh, Sir Swamp uh, thing on Twitter, um, you know, put up a, a stat that uh, if uh, points were awarded per quarter, um, we'd be firmly on top of the ladder. So, we, yes, we have won the most quarters, I guess. And am um, I right in that in uh, during 2018, we equaled or broke the record for consecutive number of quarters won, and it was about 20 or 21? I believe we equaled it. I'm not sure if we won, and I think we lost it in the the Bulldogs game. I think at Mm. Marvel, I think it might have been the one that Lever got injured in, possibly. Um, Yes. Yep. Very positive signs. And Andy, that question about whether we did anything tactically, actually, it was interesting because, as I noted, there's been in every game the opposition's come at us, and I think it's a good point, George, that. You know, that's what happens in footy, and particularly in 30-minute quarters. You, you'll get some momentum swings. When the uh, when Frio and the Saints came at us, in both those games, we took the heat out of the um, game and, and um, played some tempo football. So we did tactically respond, um, which was really clever, I think. And, um, um, you know, I think credit's a good one for, for the, the Frio game was after half time, and I think the Saints game was... Perhaps that was sort of the player players um, started doing that um, during the second quarter. This game, I don't think we did do anything tactically different. We um, kept that pressure up defensively uh, and manic pressure in the forward half. It was just brilliant to watch. Um, and, yeah, I think the goals that they got were, <clears throat> you know, against the grain, out the back. The, one, the last one that um, they kicked in the third quarter, Smith kicked, that was actually defensively really good football from the D's because I don't know if you remember, but they had a chain of handballs and they were um, looking to tic-tac to bring it down the ground and Smith moved into inside 50 and he was looking, as you do, as you uh, as you would and expect him to, into the corridor to give off. And mm. I think it was Hunt who forced him wide, who, who sort of corralled him really cleverly and forced him to jag to the left-hand side where he ended up having to snag it, you know, around his body in the wet from 40 metres and all, all power to him. It was a good kick. He's a, you know, he's an excellent player, obviously, good good skills. Um, but defensively, it was a really strong bit of work and, um, you know, that's the hallmark of what, how we're playing. We're just so hard to score against. And we just haven't dropped our bundle, you know. Um, we would have done that at least once, Um so far in previous years, and uh, that's what's really encouraging. Yeah. I think it was interesting that uh, certainly a couple of times in that game, Geelong tried to implement their rope-a-dope type, you know, chip, 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 and then eventually uh, centre it to Hawkins uh, type of game, which uh, you'll remember last year they they did that quite successfully. And and in this game, they tried to start it up, and we shut them down straight away. and quite frankly, Geelong had no second option. They, you know, we've talked about not having a plan B. Um, that was certainly the case for them in this game, um, which means that we've changed the way that we defend and we've changed the, the style of attack. It looks very, very much like that Richmond manic pressure, um, not just in, in the forward line, but across the whole ground. You don't, you don't give them a chance to um, control the ball. And um, it'll be interesting. We'll talk about it later with the Hawthorne game because Hawthorne play the same type of type of game, just possession, possession. Uh, but we didn't allow Geelong any rope at, at all and they were the dopes at the end of the day. 
um, Big Man, uh, uh, I'll, I'll ask you this because you've I've seen you, you've mentioned it on the podcast a few times, I've seen you say it on Demonland, uh, attributing your very, very, very strong opinions of, of making sure you attribute um, this, you know, the, the, these tactics to Goody. And I don't know, I'm not so sure it is, can be uh, attributed to Goody totally. Um, there's a guy who's come to the club, Adam Uze, who's supposed to be quite a tactical genius, has come from, from Hawthorne, from good stock under Clarkson. Is there no, is, are you holding fast on your, um, your opinion that this is a Goody-led um, resurgence, New Demon resurgence? Oh, look, I think that's a bit strong in terms of, you know, of course it's not all all good one, but I think, you know, what I would push back against is the sort of the narrative that uh, must be Choco Williams or Uze because Goody's so tactically such a blunderer that, you know, there's no way that it could be him. I, I think that, I mean, it was its time raised it last week. George talked about it. Our setup around the um, um, uh, stoppages is so much better. Um, we're, we're creating space. We've only got one player going at the football, um, and I've no, no, it was really notable on um, noticeable on the weekend. Um, they so often hit that pack um, at speed because they're coming from a distance. They're running in fast towards the pack um, to get either the handball or to come in and help out. Um, but you know what I'd say, Anne, is that that the the philosophy he's talked for a long time about having an identifiable brand, and it sort of becomes a bit of a cliche. Um, I haven't been watching any of the sort of footy shows this year because um, they frustrate me so much. But I happened I watched it this week because I wanted to hear what they were saying about the D's. Uh, when I say that, I watched uh, on the couch. Now talking about you know the way we're playing at the moment, and they talked about the elements, but what they didn't you know that we're defensively minded, that we're pressure, that there's buy in. Defensive running, you know, everyone's noting now how much more defensive running we're doing. That's really evident when you go to the ground, particularly someone like Oliver. Um, but I think that the the tack that it all starts from the back and that zone that I've talked about a number of times. Again, it was really evident at the ground, sitting high up behind the grounds at the goals, to see the way that they um, move as a group, as a cell across the ground, to create no option down the ground, which basically forces teams to, um, you know, either attempt to go through it and we mop it up, or go around it. And we've got the, the flexibility and pace to stop that switch as well, um, and everything starts from there. And um, I think that's tactically a huge change for the team that that he's brought it in over the years. He's been trying to do it. He's always been a defensive-minded coach, but I think he's done that zone. You know, who knows? Everyone's bringing things to the table. So um, I think we're tactically quite an interesting team now and we're not – people talk about us being fast, but it's not really – it's really about those two things about being better with – having clearances that are more damaging – getting a higher um, um, you know, really intense pressure inside 50. Again, I think we had more than 15 tackles inside 50. Um, so we're trapping the ball in there, which is obviously what he you know, always wanted to do. We just couldn't do it. But the defensive setup and that web that they've got back there, that's the big tactical change. And I don't think even Richmond are doing it um, like that. Sure, but as was noted, you know, we've copied that high intense pressure and, you know, you smash the ball carrier and you force a turnover. That's a that's a given. So the dogs are doing the same thing. But 
I think our um, point of difference is that defensive zone, that web that I've talked about. Um, it's a really noticeable difference, uh, and I think that we're the only ones doing it quite this, in quite that way. And we're because of it, we've become super hard to score against. On that show on the couch, they put up some stats, and one of them was thirty point six, I think it was for um, um, scores. Uh, what was it, Andy? I think you put it up. 30.6, best percentage ever recorded after round four and opposition scores per inside 50. So they're, they're not even scoring a third of the time when they come in um, to our inside 50, which is remarkable. Everyone's talking about how fast the game is becoming and how open it is. Well, if you look at the, when teams play us, they've got no space in their forward lines to move, and that's that's all about that defensive zone that they've got going. Let's talk um, some individual uh, efforts. Uh, he can't really go past uh, Christian Petrarca. He hasn't missed a beat from his breakout 2020 season. Uh, was was immense once again on, on Sunday and racked up a ton of possessions and uh, in not the greatest uh, conditions you wouldn't think to, to play. Uh, but he always looks like he just has so much time and space and he's just impossible to tackle. Um, I just love watching the guy, Great Viney. Um, He's yeah, he's a next level player. He took that step last year, um, and it was apparent from the outset that it was going to be a consistent thing rather than just a, a one off or occasional thing with with track. And uh, he's continued on his merry way this year. Um, the numbers across the board, uh, uh, you know, are outstanding. Really, um, elite. Um, uh, name the superlative. Yeah, you look at uh, the stats on the on the AFL side. Almost uh, everything is elite for him. Um, uh, I mean, this week's had thirty six possessions, fifteen contested, ten score involvements, nine clearances, six hundred and fifty seven meters gained. He's kicked the two goals, one of which was right on the siren uh, of halftime. I think, which we never do. That's always the other, the the other side. Usually go the, the junk time ones against us. So that was a, a, a nice thing for us to get, uh, George. Yeah, there's not enough superlatives for him at the moment. And uh, as, as Great Viney just said, he, he took that step last year. And um, th- uh, this year, what we're seeing is a, even another step up, I think. Uh, when he has the opportunity, there's never any question about what he's going to do with it. He's He's got that same attitude as Dustin Martin has that, just leave it to me, boys. I'll look after this. Just stand aside and watch me. Um, great. He, he's got utter confidence in his ability. Uh, we're going to just see better and better. And uh, we've always wanted, or we've, for a, a long time, we've been looking for a match winner. And I think we've got one. And he will win matches for us this year just off his own efforts. Big man, have we, have we got a Brownlow medalist uh, in our midst? It's quite possibly. I mean, you've got to be averaging, history says, 30 um, possessions a game, disposals a game to win a Brownlow. It's pretty much a given. He's averaging um, 29.8 this season. So that's huge numbers. And just some of his other stats so far after four rounds, he's ranked third in um, total inside 50s, which is incredible, really. Um, and also fourth in total score involvements. What a combination of of statistics, score involvements, fourth and inside 50s, fifth, then he's um, eighth in total um, disposals. I mean, so he's top 10 total disposals in the league um, and, you know, fifth in total uncontested possession. So he's getting the ball on the outside and being damaging. Um, he is ranked third in clangers per game. So, you know, maybe he's not perfect yet. So 
Um, but he's he was incredible on the weekend. And, you know, I was saying last week, you sort of, He's now getting so good that you expect him to get 25 possessions being damaging, but he was incredible. Um, and I love the arrogance after that first goal he kicked to uh, shove. I don't know what the Geelong player's name was, but he went straight to him after he kicked it. And it was uh, it was a fantastic bit of, you know, we're on, boys, and, um, you know, you guys are going to be left in our dust. Yeah, I think that was also a bit of – I'm not sure if there was anything sort of said – between them before that, that that did that, or if that was just part of him trying to fire himself up. Yeah, um, yeah. That uh, Borgzilla in the um, chat room says that it, um, the fitness of the team is a factor in our ability for that defensive run and spread, and I think that's that's right. It's really evident, but it's particularly evident with Petrarca, isn't it? He's um, he's got his fitness to a level where he can spend as many minutes in the in the middle as required, and you know, I think can still go up um, forward and be incredibly damaging. Uh, I will just mention if you do want to uh, call the show and uh, add your two cents to anything we talk about zero three nine zero one six three triple six at zero three nine zero one six three triple six. Clayton Oliver, um, well. Before I go into my notes on him, uh, he's just re-signed um, until 2023. Um, and as I was discussing with the boys before the show, that uh, brings him to restricted free agency territory. But uh, I guess we're all very happy with that. It's great news that the club can lock that away and take away any of that, uh, you know, will he sign, won't he sign. Uh, you know, you don't want to hear during the year they've uh, – stalled negotiations till the end of the year, never like stuff like that, so just put it to bed. So well done, MFC, uh, for locking him in. Um, and you guys can add your two cents about that in a minute. Um, you know, we were worried, you know, that he'd get scragged and tagged and roughed up and, and put off his game like he was last week against the Giants, but uh, whatever uh, tag uh, O'Connor was putting on Clary, it was completely ineffectual. Uh, you know, although he's racked up 34 possessions, 14 contested, six clearances, 10 score involvements, nine inside 50s. It's just uh, a f- well-rounded game and, uh, you know, uh, it's hard to sort of uh, put a, a point of difference between him and, and, and Petrarca on the day. They were both fantastic. Uh, big man? Yeah, he, he was fantastic, wasn't he? And um, when he was at his best last season, he, he was getting good metres and he was really getting... Great. Oh, did you read out his stats for his metres game? Just send any of them. No, I didn't. So if you've got it in front of I'll you. I'll grab it. I haven't got it immediately off mind. I'll, I'll he, get him on while you're talking. He was really damaging in terms of his kicks. And he seems to have improved his um, kick off one step. He, he's getting some, he's really driving it a bit flatter and getting good depth. And um, I thought he was fantastic in this game and he was so clever. The way he played was so clever um he, he he was really untaggable he was moving at contests really hard um he got completely poleaxed by track i think right on half time um or maybe it was three quarter time um and he was really sucking wind he, he looked actually in a bit of bother um and came out and was fantastic in the last quarter or the whatever the following quarter was he he was just terrific and geez he looks like like he loves playing footy i don't know whether it's an affectation he's got you know he seems to be smiling even when he's getting tackled or um yeah he, he's impressive and just on his re-signing any i can't i'm super impressed how you organized that to happen just before the um that to be announced just before the podcast started that's Shows uh, would have been good if they could have broke it on on here, but I don't think they're going to do that. 
Uh, four seven four meters gain, by the way. Season average is three seventy five, and I I believe his career average is uh, two eighty eight. So right, well, that just yeah, I mean, that just shows how much more damaging he's been this year. Uh, George, yeah, I'll just add a, li- a little bit. It was. Uh, I was watching the uh, tag from O'Connor because uh, the previous week O'Connor had held uh, Hawthorne's Mitchell to three possessions um, by half-time. So he was probably very effective in that game, but against Oliver um, had no effect whatsoever. And it was interesting um, what Oliver was doing to um, break the tag and yet still have effect. He was standing back away from the centre circle at times, 10 metres away, um, to give himself space so that O'Connor was trying to hang on to him. But um, uh, he then had the space to run into to contribute. Um, uh, Scott eventually gave up with the tag, I think, in the third quarter, simply because it was... um, Firstly, not having any effect, but it was also having a double-up effect of uh, leaving Geelong one midfielder down in the middle who was wasting time with Clayton Oliver. So, um, yeah, it was it was a dramatic, a really dramatic effort um, for Oliver. I think he's, um, uh, as one of the commentators said the other week, he's better get used to the fact that uh, people are going to tag him because he's so good. But because he's so good, he's got to overcome these tags. And I think we saw it this week. He's overcome the tag very with very demonstrably. So uh, well done to him. And great to see that he signed up. I think, like I said to the boys before the program, good good clubs winning games, uh, they don't lose their players. Um, and that's that's a good sign for the club as a whole. Great, Viney, you must be wrapped uh, with the signing too. Yeah, not as wrapped as Oliver. As uh, as Binman says, he, he looks like he's having an absolute ball at the moment, which is good to see. There was a lot of talk about him not being happy at the end of last season, so great to see a big smile on his face. But isn't it amazing that, you know, we've mentioned Petraka and Oliver as, um, you know, having such great games, and yet um, our third mid, Jack Viney, was also yeah. so good. Um, yeah. Uh, which is uh, which is just fantastic, isn't it? And I know we'll talk about Gorn in a minute too. So um, the well, engine room is certainly working. I, I had that next uh, actually before Gorn. I said, you know, I've written down here. You know, whilst we're praising some of the mids, uh, I, I, it's very important that we make mention of Jack Viney. You know, he's only had twenty-four possession, sixteen contested. He's had thirty-three pressure acts, twelve absolute bone-crunching tackles, and he's he's got eight clearances as well. Um, you know, he's not going to get any votes for the for the game, but you can't underestimate the the importance uh, of his role in the team. And, and you know, when you have the aforementioned track and Clary show going on, Viney's sideshow is just as critical to this winning formula that uh, we're putting together. Um, so, yeah, Viney is an integral part um, to this team. Mm, I totally agree. And I was saying that last week. And I think... One of the interesting things that I didn't see on the or I went to the game and I watched the replay but didn't catch this and I saw on the couch, they showed Petrarca um, being interviewed after the um, game um, directly after the Geelong win um, and he was talking about um, um, just how switched on and together the team is and how connected and um, maturity, I think he mentioned maturity as well and uh, I read on Demonland just before we started that um, on the back of the sign he was on 360 tonight and um, and he 
he was saying that, you know, sort of similar things that they're all sort of switched on and they're all really connected was the word that gets thrown up a fair bit. Um, and with Viney, I think because he's, I think he's got that, he's quite myopic. He's a, a footballer's footballer and he's probably not someone who's, you know, really sugarcoats things and potentially I reckon, you know, he might be the sort of fella that rubs people up the wrong way. But when things are going well and a football team's travelling together, he's exactly the sort of player that um, you need and someone who's he, he's just crazy brave, isn't he? I mean, he, he's just phenomenal, his attack on the, the footy. Um, let's move on to, to Maxi, um, another masterclass in the ruck, uh, 41 hitouts, uh, 10 to advantage, 23 disposals, six marks. I, I thought he actually took more than that. I was surprised when I saw he only had six um, and, and kicked that absolute monster goal from, you know, mind you, inside the square. Um, Darren, Darren Bennett territory, that. That is, and we desperately needed it. Uh, that was sort of against the flow of play. They'd kicked a couple of goals. Um, just an amazing performance from from the captain once again. Um Love the guy, George. Yeah, we we all love Max, and um, yeah, this was probably one of the best games that I've ever seen him play. Despite the the stats, may you know, we've we've learnt about hitouts not being uh, as perhaps as uh, important in the overall game plan. But Max also had seven clearances uh, in this game for for a guy who's two hundred and eight centimeters. That was a monumental effort. So, um, but I, I think. Uh, what we're seeing is the better side of Max now as a, as a result of a bloke called, called Luke Jackson uh, providing the backup and uh, not just in the ruck component of it, but around the ground. So um, both a pl- Max can go back, Max can go forward, and so can Luke Jackson. And uh, I think that was probably the big factor that was missing for us last year and certainly the year before. But uh I think uh, this this is going to be a, a really fearsome com- combination. We, we know how good Max has been when operating on his own, but when he's got a, a backup uh, killer like uh, Jackson operating as well, and we're yet to see the best of Jackson, um, this is going to be a really exciting ride for all of us. Yeah, um, it really is. And I, I like, um, usually they say, you know, you should play these, develop these tools in the twos. But I think with Jackson, it's a different story. I'm liking the on-the-job training that he's getting in the, in the seniors. Mm. Um, uh, very happy with, with what he's doing. Not, not getting a ton of possessions, but I just love every possession that he gets and some of those handballs and he's really integral to some of the chains that we're having. And he's he's able to. I think he had four or five clearances as well. Um, you know, he's able to rove his own taps, which you see Nick Nack do a lot. Um, really loving what I'm seeing at the moment, and we're going to see more of it. Uh, Be man, Gordon. We've talked about it all season so far. It's remarkable. He's as this is the he's the best ruckman I've ever seen. Now, I mean, any talk about um, Grundy being anywhere near him in abilities is incredible like he's I think Jackson the use of Jackson's critical for how they use Gorn because as we talked about last week we saw it this week it it gives us so much tactical uh, flexibility in how they use him they could bring him back when May went off um, bring him forward as needed Um, and it was a day for the true believers in the clearances Andy we're up 11 um, on on (laughs) 
clearances and that was a big part of his work um and i, I was just in the stats that matter on the melbourne website it's a really um some good stats on it often um just looking at the meters gained from stoppages we had 500 plus more meters from stoppages um than, than um, and 16 to 8 first possessions at center bounces um that's just incredible and a lot of that's max but also jackson like you know he he is very effective he's not clanking his marks i mean it was a wet day so i won't knock him too much but he's you know he's only in his what 10th game of footy afl footy he is just a total out and out star so the combination of those two um i can see you can see why taylor got um him just how we can now use max in the way they already have so that's another tactical thing you know, I don't know, Andy, maybe it's Choco Williams, maybe it's Uze, but possibly it's Goodwin. They're using him um, super cleverly. And um, one of the other stats that jumped out from me related to um, to Max is he got 23 disposals. That's a lot for a big fella on a wet day. Um, and we had 10% more time in our forward half than them. That's all about that territory game, and he's a huge part of that territory game. So, you know, they can now kick from the back half, 40, 50 metres, to Max, to Jackson, to T-Mac, who was pushing up in, um, the ground. Um, that's the model. Get it long, get it to one of those boys, and if they don't mark it, someone's, you know, Langdon or Brayshaw or Hunt is running next to the pack to move it forward. So, um, yeah, he's he's just fantastic, and he's great for the footy club, isn't he? I just, uh, you mentioned the 23 possessions on a wet ga- day. He, when he kicked that goal, um, if you have a watch on our homepage of Dean Lane. We've got that, uh, that goal on, on replay. Again. Uh, yeah, <laughs> well, again. That was such a good goal. It had, yeah. had to go. Uh, but just, the, you know, we had a couple of uh, where we were kicking off the ground, once forward, once back, um, and Max just picks it up one-handed almost yeah. uh, and just runs through traffic and kicks a, a beautiful kick uh, for a big guy as well. It was straight as an arrow. Um Beautiful kick. So, and just on that goal, I was sitting directly above it. Um, so in the southern stand on the the second level, um, and Jackson held off the defender fantastically. And, and I don't know, there was actually poor in the end. The defender misread it. He should have gone back to market, but um, Jackson really held his space in front of him super hard, uh, and deserves um, part of the credit for that goal to allow get over the back because the defender was completely committed to trying grappling with Jackson and um, pushing forward under the ball, and it just went over the top of both of them. Um, let's talk uh, defence. Uh, Jake Lever, uh, uh, you know, was an absolute star in defence on Sunday, particularly so when uh, Stephen May went down in the second quarter and was. Ruled out for the rest of the match. Uh, Jake really stepped up as that leader in defence, and we're very lucky. Um, we've got two great natural leaders down back in May and Lever, um, and it's absolutely invaluable because if you just have a Stephen Stephen May as your general and he goes down early in the match, you know you 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 don't have anyone else. But amazingly, we've got another one, another leader that's ready to go. Um, watching the replay when I got home, there, there was one particular incident. I think it was late in the second quarter, and Gus had given away a free. That, frankly, I don't. Th- it was down downfield. I don't think the free was actually there. Um, and I'm not sure what was happening back where the initial free was called. But Jake Lever just left, 
left the mark. There was another player there, so he wasn't leaving it uh, open. And with a cool head, he came and calmed everyone down. Obviously, he didn't want to give away free kicks or be lippy at the umpires. And Geelong got the easy goal, but then Jake sort of marshaled all the troops to him just to get everyone back on track. And now I'm not down on the field, so I can't say what was said or, or what impact it had, but I, I just liked what I saw in him. He he's, seems like he's such a great leader. And just back to his statistics on the day, 10 one percenters, and one of them, if you saw the vision, where he was absolute, I think it was almost three to one and they had a stream of players coming and he just attacked the ball and got it. Fantastic. 11 intercepts, nine spoils, three intercept marks, five rebounds out of defensive 50, uh, five contested defensive one-on-ones, and he's been in four score involvements. So just a, a tremendous uh, game from from him, and I think he's had a fantastic uh, season uh, thus, thus far. And part of that's been because him and May have been playing together, so it'll be interesting, and we'll talk about it soon, uh, what the back line's going to look like with, with Lever out for a little bit. Uh, but he's been fantastic, George. Yeah, um, we've been crying out for years uh, at this club with uh, looking for leadership and um, the arrival of Stephen May, I think, provided it down the back. But also we've heard how, uh, you know, on the various releases, how good Lever is as a leader. I think importantly, as you've just highlighted, this is the game that we saw the leadership of of, uh, of Lever at, in action. Um, he was rallying the troops. It was obvious from the stands that he was he knew what what he had to do because May was no longer there and he just took over that generalship of the back line and just directed people left and right and then to top it all off as you said his, his um, individual efforts um, uh, were you know just remarkable given given that we'd just lost our main main defender so um, yeah it was just a superb game from him um, he was he also brought uh, you know Salem and Tom, Tomlinson into the game, um, so it was yeah just a fantastic effort from that whole backline team. They just became a team. They lost they lost their figurehead, but that didn't make any difference to them. It was um, uh, great to watch. Um, uh, B man, uh, how do you, how did you see Tomlinson go? Uh, obviously, had to take over from Stephen May. Uh, who had done a good job thus far on on uh, Hawkins, and um, so how'd you see Tomlinson go? We lost B man there. He's muted again. He's muted. All right, maybe he's got something on Grapevine. Uh, well, good. muted. Grapevine, yeah, <laughs> can go next. Um, yeah, uh, Trevi Fourteen was uh, said in the chat room that Tomlinson um, was a big factor in actually allowing Lever to be as influential as he was. And I reckon that's a really good point because uh, he manned up um, uh, Hawkins fantastically. And I think I read on Demon Land that someone said that he was on Hawkins for much of the game. And mm, I'm sure maybe known for a little bit, though. Mate, well, he certainly was when he got injured. Um, but he, I heard him interviewed on. Um, uh, I think it was one of the radio stations, uh, SEN. RS, RSN maybe. Uh, no, yeah, I think, yeah, no, it was SEN on Sam Edmund was talking to him and um, uh, he said that he worked super hard over the um, over the pre-season on his defensive work and that, um, you know, he had done a bit, of, he made his, made the point that he'd done a fair bit of that previously. I was pretty critical of him as defender last year, um, but, you know, he's a good footballer, so 
time to learn um, if, if, he, if that's what he wanted to do. And he was fantastic, I thought. And it was really, he, you know, he really shut down Hawkins. Uh, and, um, he, I, again, I, I was right above him when Hawkins kicked that goal and the expression on his face, he was, when sort of Hawkins got that boot to it and wrestled him out of it, he was spewing on on, on it. And, uh, yeah, but I thought he was fantastic. He, he was great and really clever, really. He was also a good leader, very vocal, pointing, um, and Tomlinson made the point that um, between him and um, uh, Lever that they helped. Uh, Gus was really important when he came back down there, and he played off the halfback flank. And that Tomlinson was saying Lever was and him was just telling him to stand in the hole in front of um, uh, in front of Hawkins. And you could t- tell that that you know he did that really well, Gus. I thought that was he played fantastic as well in terms of playing that team role and sacrificing his game to go down back. So. Uh, short answer, yeah, Tomo was great. Uh, great, Vine. You want to add anything on any of uh, our back backmen? No, back up all that. So, um, <laughs> yep, all good. Well, perhaps you can uh, you can help me out with this one because we've got Stephen May. Looks like he's going to be out for an extended period of time. They've said two to four weeks, but I guess it all depends on how that uh, that eye, the swelling around the eye, um, sort of heals. Um, Hopefully it's only four weeks, but we've got to cover his loss. How, how do we cover this loss? Uh, if he makes a yeah. miraculous recovery, by the way, I'd like to see the headline in the paper, May BCD, um, if he's on the brink of selection, which would be good. But, um, look, he's uh, it's funny to say that he's going to be um, hard to cover, given that we um, had no trouble covering from on the weekend. But, look, the strongest indication that we've got from the coach is that uh, Harry Petty will come in and uh, take over that key defensive role. Um, so pretty much uh, like for like. Um, uh, some people on the board have been getting creative and thinking about throwing um, Tommy Mack down back again. Um, uh, I can't see that happening, and I think the coach pretty much ruled it out in the post-match presser too. So um, <laughs> pretty quickly too, yeah, <laughs> pretty quickly. So look, it looks pretty straightforward. Um, whether that mix changes over the next four weeks, um, Hibbert, of course, um, is probably you know in contention, and his his name is in the mix. So um, whether it changes depending on our opposition and. How many um, how many tools they've got, and you know how we match up against that. Uh, I guess we'll uh, we'll see. Well, big man, I'll ask you. So uh, you know, th- this week I don't think it's an issue. I'd like Petty to come in this week, just just to be able to play with the guys and and get a feel of the team and the players, and playing with Lever and Tomlinson and, and Salem and all the, the other backmen. So I'd like him to come in, particularly because the next week and. You know, we like to take things one week at a time, but looking in two weeks' time, we've got Richmond who have got Lynch and Rewalt. So uh, you want to have the the flexibility of of allowing uh, Lever to play sort of that uh, you know intercept third third man up. So um, how do you see our backline, particularly against a Richmond, uh, who 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 takes who, and or, or does it revolve around like it seems to we've seen to do? Uh, 
I've gone from listening to no media about the D's to suddenly becoming super keen on listening to anything I can either you know watch or um, uh, get podcasts on. And I happen to be listening to the radio, um, searching around for Melbourne content, um, and listen to uh, McCartney being interviewed. Um, and he's now coaching up at Ballarat, um, and he does a weekly spot on. Um, uh, SEN on the Monday and you know reflecting on the games and he was talking about the D's. Um, it was really actually quite an interesting uh, insight. He talked about how strong our defensive unit is, um, and that he was asked that question. Um, and he said that uh, Petty's a great young fella. Uh, he's a he's going to be a star. He'll he'll come in for May, uh, and that with a defensive unit that's got really good synergy and working well. When you have just one player going out, you can just replace them. It's when you have more than that one change that um, it can um, be a bit risky. But he said when the system's really strong, as it is at the Demons at the moment, um, one out's not normally an issue. Uh, even a key player like May, assuming you've got someone um, who you know who's can do the job, and he was pretty confident Petty can do the job. And by all accounts, he's been playing all right in the uh, VFL practice game. So. You know, the logical thing would be for him to come in and, and basically play the full back. And I think they've lost, uh, is it Lewis? Another Mitch, Mitch Lewis got a weak suspension. Yes, yeah. we've had the situation, but I still think you bring in, you bring him in because I'd like yeah, to. Yeah, see. exactly. But yeah, no, sorry. Yeah, 100% Petty comes in, but that'd be the only change I'd be making, particularly to the back line. Yeah, and, and you're right, Andy, it's, it's the perfect week to bring Petty in in that in that case, because um, Gunston isn't playing, uh, he's out for a couple more weeks, so he here's uh, his the chance for him for Petty to get his feet uh, in the back line and get to understand what's going on before they have to worry about Rewalt and Lynch the, fo- the following week. So uh, yeah, I think he's a, a a certainty to go into the side this week. Uh, what about about him? But um, all all reports played. Uh, was the best player out at Casey, played a con- very consistent game across all four quarters, used the, the ball well in on a, on a wet, the terrible uh, conditions um, out of Casey. And was it out of Casey? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So would you bring him in or no, we might not need him, that extra I, defender? I, I think, uh, unfortunately, I watched Jeddah a couple of times in the in the in this game. He's just running up and down in the one spot at the moment. Um, he's okay when the ball comes in high and he can body the opposition small, but as soon as the ball um, or he has to run, uh, he he's miles behind. At one stage, I recall seeing him at least five five meters behind his individual opponent. Um, uh, and if you've got one coach in the whole of the AFL who will exploit that with other with other young quick smalls, it's Alistair Clarkson. He will put him put someone on him or isolate someone on him who will just run him off away. Um, I see more um, for Hawthorne kick three goals this week. He's only 176 centimeters tall, so. Th- that would be the likely target, just someone who, and also they drop Wingard in there as well. Um, Clarkson will just isolate him. He know he knows the weakness in the back line, and sad to say, it's uh, Neville at the moment. Yeah, I, I don't agree, George. I reckon, that, I mean, the Geelong team have have got a you know flotilla of mediums, and um, you know it's where we historically struggled in the last few years, and he's 
been really strong that um, in that role this year, and I thought he played super. Um, and take your point fully about his lack of pace, but a lockdown one-on-one player in a small, he'll go to Wingard, I reckon. Um, I can't see him being dropped, but certainly not for Hibbard. I, I think Lockhart's the replacement eventually, but um, Hibbard's, Hibbard's competing for a spot with Hunt and um, um, Rivers, in my view, because he's not good one-on-one. He's not terrific one. He's okay, um, but he's not as good one-on-one as Neville is. Um, his go is running off the halfback flank and metres gained, and we've got Rivers and Hunt playing that role. So, yeah, I can't see them making a change there, to be honest. Yeah, oh, we can just briefly talk about Hunt and Rivers as well. I think uh, both of them are doing doing their jobs. Uh, Hunt's been been very impressive the last couple of weeks, and I can't see him losing his spot. Hard to see any of them losing their spot at the moment. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, you know, there'd be great reluctance on uh, Goodwin and the FDs um, part to, to um, yeah, to change the side at all. They've got the one force change with with May, but um, it's hard to see uh, too many others being on the chopping block. Especially when you throw Salem in there as well. Yeah. Oh well. Yeah. Look, Salem, Langdon. Uh, look, we we don't. Uh, you know, we don't always have time to talk about every every single player, but it's hard to go. You know, those two players. I know we had them down on our notes. Uh, Langdon's just been fantastic. Uh, Salem is safe as houses with the ball in his hand. Um, you know, uh, often he gets overlooked. Um, you know, we talk about Petrarca. We talk about uh, Oliver. Um, and uh, Salem just gets overlooked week in, week out, um, but always uh, always contributing. And It's a bit like the Little League at the minute, isn't it, where um, everyone was the best, everyone gets a, a run in the paper, um, the entire team. It's a team effort. Team effort, that's what I was thinking of the, <laughs> the wording they used. Uh, yeah. You're bringing back bad memories for me there, Great Vaughn, and my participation awards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everyone gets a trophy day. Uh, well, let's uh, let's talk about uh, the forward line because um, we, I don't know, we might have to make a change there as well. Um, you know, uh, and before we talk about the shape of the forward line uh, to come, based on the return of Ben Brown and, and Wiedemann to Casey, um, I'd just like to say it's it's great to see the accurate. Bailey Fitch, Fritch returned to the team uh, on the back of three straight last week. He's kicked four goals, one uh, this week. He, he was fantastic. Uh, I, I love seeing this Bailey Fritch. This is the Bailey Fritch that that I remember that came into the team. And, and uh, you know, what, what did we get? Uh, we got him uh, from the pick we got from uh, Jack Watts. And uh, he's really, I think we've, Come out the winners on on that uh, on that uh, trade. Um, however, accuracy once again uh, or lack thereof uh, could have proved costly. I thought we were well in control of the game. Could have put it away the team early, snuffed out any chance of them having a sniff, which you can't give a team like Geelong, as we saw. Even though we, we've discussed that, you know, and we could have banked more percentage on back on that. Uh, you know, it's a top four world problem. Um, yeah, but we've had. That's a very <laughs> rare problem for us to have. I know, yeah. and that's why players like fine. players like Cosy yeah. need to go back and work on um, his shots from forty-five meters out on the boundary line slider <laughs> in the wet. Um, it's not good enough to be hitting the post from out there. So, um, well, look, we've had 
Spargo three behinds, Pickett two, Viney two behinds, Tracker, Melksham, uh, both should have kicked uh, their set shots. I mean, the, look, it was windy and I'm getting greedy. Um, we've kicked uh, 50 goals 49 this year to 39 goals 25. So other teams have been a lot more accurate than we are. But when you're kicking more goals uh, in total, I guess it, it doesn't matter. But, yeah, I'd like to bank some percentage and perhaps we'll have a chance this week. But, I mean, uh, it definitely and- kept them in it, didn't it? Because the scoreboard... It was a classic example of the scoreboard not reflecting um, our dominance. I mean, we we really dominated that game in not just physically we dominated it, but we right from the get go we looked like a team that was going to win that game of footy. Definitely kept them in it, but it was really swirling that wind. That was um, it was significant. So they did amazingly to be so accurate. I thought, but uh, it was to be fair, it was incredibly windy. The first kick. Um, that Viney had a goal. It, I don't think he did. He barely made the distance from about 30 metres. And then the goal that Jones kicked, again, I was right behind that kick and it seemed to stop. It was like watching some slow motion film. It was sort of creeping towards the goal and um, yeah, it was pretty difficult conditions. Um, I, I know this week we haven't got too many complaints about the umpiring and on our scoring we uh, had two... Uh, the 50 metres that Fritch got uh, after being shoved into the fence, he should have got one last week, I thought. And um, that really helped. <laughs> he wasn't going to miss that one. And then um, the free kick that we got for the deliberate and then Langdon, of all players, bending it around. So um, And and Fritch kicking that goal from that mark. So they were two really good kicks when needed um, in that last quarter. So credit where it's due. Yeah, you said uh, we don't have much to complain about the umpiring. I, my voice is testament to, to a, very, a lot of complaints because, once again, it's the free kicks you don't get. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I thought we were hard done by. We should have won the free kick count by more. <laughs> we did win the free kick count, though, so. Yes, but by more. <laughs> greedy, just greedy. <laughs> Absolutely greedy. Well, when you when you start winning, you get greedy. Um, I, I wonder what uh, Hawthorne fans must be like and uh, – Geelong fans, um, since we're TMAC is an integral part of any discussion of the makeup of our forward line going forward, uh, I think it's important to note. He, he whilst he, he didn't trouble the the score the scoreboard on the day, but he did have twenty one possessions. He took nine marks, and he often contested, got the ball to the ground for crummers to score from. Uh, having said that, he's only kicked four goals this year, and and he's behind Fritch on ten, Pickett on eight, and Track on five. Um. With Ben Brown playing a half in the in the resies, uh, uh, who was it that uh, that posted on? Uh, Mad as hell was the first guy to put up a, a thing. He said uh, that he reckons Ben Brown will play this week. He could have had three goals in the first term. One hit the post, and another one uh, was online, but fell short. With he misread the breeze, took some very good marks, got his hands on a lot of contests, didn't get as much of it in the second term, though Casey barely got it forward of centre in that term. Uh, most encouraging performance. Goody basically ruled it out and Wiedemann. Did he? Uh, Resta, he said three, four weeks away. Oh, really? Yeah. Still? Yeah. He's, wow. he, in the con, in the context about um, Tom, that question about Tom McDonald, I think it was straight afterwards, He, we were pretty much quick to say, nah, you know, they've got two, three more weeks and we're going to make sure they're cherry ripe before they come back in. Um, well, I think uh, Wiedemann, uh, by all reports, didn't touch the ball um, at all. So I can see that. But um, I don't know. Do you bring Ben Brown in this week? 
Well, I mean, I've good. He said no, but uh, he said not for him. And you're the coach. Uh, I know. Yeah, I, I thought McDonald was fantastic, and um, it was interesting. There was a bit of debate on Damaland about um, how well he played or otherwise. I thought he was terrific, and I, I was a bit critical of his body language last week, and it can be a bit iffy um, at times. Not this week. There were a few times where he didn't get freeze where he should have. He didn't. Um, he stayed in the contest. No poor body language. I thought he was awesome, um, and and he was really important. That player, you know. No worries him not getting goals because most of his possessions are up the ground and running hard up and taking those um, contested long balls down the line. And those numbers are great. If if your centre-half forward or full forward is coming back with those numbers every week, um, you'd be pretty happy. And he might not have kicked um, too many goals this year, but the forward line has functioned well over the four weeks and it, it, uh, it, it functioned well again. Um, despite horrendous conditions on the weekend, and uh, he's he's playing his role in in making that happen. Yeah, and I think George pointed out a few weeks ago that they're stretching that forward line; they're getting it open. So even Fritch's, I think his third goal, where he got a handball from Cosy, he was had a fair bit of space to move in, and, and part of that is that sort of you know your T Max going up the ground, creating space, and so is Jackson. And um, you know the, if you compare that to you know, they don't have any space in their forward line. Um, and But, of course, we've got our manic pressure. I think that's the other thing about our forward line. We're just going bananas in there for inside tackles, inside 50 tackles. I, I think we're, what we're seeing is a, um, uh, a different forward structure as well. Um, T-Mac, I can't recall, actually spent a lot of time inside the forward 50. Um, he was that link man uh, up the field that we saw him uh, performed so well in 2018 when Hogan was the, the main go-to man in the forward line. But I think it's also slightly different from what we, we saw in 2018 in that um, uh, we are stretching the opposition defenders um, uh, really wide that creates the uh, space for the people like Fritch to be able to lead into. Um, and the other the other thing that's happening is, of course, we're dropping Gorn and Jackson back in there as targets. You, you don't need T-Mac in there um, competing against them if they're rotating in there on, on a regular basis. So we've got a, a, a different setup than what people perhaps expect. T-Mac might be on the team sheets as a full forward, but he's not playing full forward in any way, mm. shape or form. Exactly, exactly. And no, and if you have a look at his stats on the um, AFL Stats Pro, he's rated elite uh, in quite a few categories. Um, you know, marks, obviously, kicks, handballs, inside 50s. Um, very encouraging. So he's not troubling the, the scoreboard, but he's, he's definitely contribu- contributing uh, to the team. Yeah. And can I ask what you fellas thought about Melksham's game as a, as a forward? Um, go ahead, George. Stunned silence for very good reason. Um, it was it was Melcham of exactly last year and the year, uh, certainly last year. Um, I was watching him in particular a couple of times. Uh, it was the same old trotting out the back, following your man up. It was, I think it was statistically terrible. He had two tackles for the game. He played uh, was it seventy five percent of the game game time. Sparrow, who came on when May went off the, the um, field, only got 39% game time. So he's played half the game time of what Melcham had, yet Sparrow managed five tackles, nine touches, 
three clearances and 195 metres gained. Um, Melcham had two tackles, 11 touches and 142 metres gained. So, uh, you know, in in double the time, he just he just doesn't want to put in at the moment. I don't know why. Um, he should know that um, to keep a spot in this in this team, um, you're going to have to put in and perform every week. And uh, he hit the goal that he got. Uh, while it's nice to get the goal, it was exactly the same as what he's been doing in the past, out the back looking for the cheap stuff. Um, that's not the way that you want to be playing today. He'll, he'll find himself uh, very quickly um, playing at Casey again if he puts in a similar sort of performance. Also, that goal could have been kicked by about three other <laughs> yeah. players. Yeah, yeah. Kept handballing it around, so yeah. very overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah, the reason I ask is because I – uh, I had a pretty strong reaction to his how he played last year, and um, you know, so I was. I, I, it's hard to watch him with that sort of confirmation bias, and um, you know, I think he'll get picked again this week. You don't bring someone in for one week, but I, he does this thing which I can't stand, which he corrals instead of tackles, and he did it down on the um, forward flank for them, or sorry, on the, their forward flank at the underneath the members stand, um, and they cleared it they got an inside 50 and it just just drives me nuts that sort of you know there's a place for it but it just sometimes he seems to do complex things when the basic is what's required like a viney would have just gone straight at the player and taken the body and um you know he just seems to sometimes be try and be too clever by half and it's I don't know whether that's a new thing, or, you know. He's all he's always done it, but he, he was a different player in that respect in two thousand eighteen. I thought he was more, he was certainly more physical. Yeah, um, I'm not sure what what, what we do there because he's sort of a bit of a favourite uh, gets picked, and I can't see who comes in oh, for him. We've we've got Sparrow who came in this week who who performed pretty well. Um, Chandler. Um, uh, has previously been sitting on the emergency uh, lines as well. So, like I said, there's there's people sitting there waiting for the opportunity. I wasn't. I I wrote on Demonland that I expected that he'd probably play some minutes in the midfield, um, and he did. Um, so I could see them doing that again because if he can get the ball forward of the centre from those centre clearances, um, specifically, sorry, in the centre stoppages, he can be damaging um, kick with that inside 50. It's just that he didn't get any kicks inside 50 from memory. Um, they, they started him in the middle, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, and I often think they do that to get get him into the game, but... Mm. I think it's more of, yeah, more of a, a tactic, but, yeah, let's see how he goes this week and... Yeah. Well, let's hope he does what he did when we played them in the final that time. Um, look, if you want to go, go jump on Demon Land, we've we've got uh, quite a good write up of the players from the the Casey game. I won't go through all of them. Um, uh, so we've got Mad as Hell, Baghdad Bob's report, Pick Offences report, and Roy Boy's report. Uh, they've done a pretty good summary of all the players. So if you want to jump on Demon Land, you can find. That there. How amazing um, is that? That you know about it. Uh, within two hours of the end of that game, there were three or four very detailed player by player summaries um, yeah. uh, for fans to pour over. Um, absolutely love the website for that. Thank God for Demonland because the comms from the MFC 
leave something to be desired. Um, just before we move off the the D's game, Travi fourteen in the chat room notes that um, the the role of Jones we had we don't talk about him much. Um, I thought he was fantastic, and um, Travi notes that he's playing really selfless footy, um, and he's a classic utility player, isn't he? The way you know he gets used off the half back flank, he he's, um, bobs up on the wing, pushes forward, kicked an important goal. That was a really uh, timely goal that he kicked. Yeah. Um, and as Travi 14 points out, all things being equal, he'll be playing his uh, 300th at the um, uh, Anzac Eve game. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy. Look, I, I, I read uh, not just on, on Demonland, but I, a lot of on sort of Facebook and there's a lot of players, a lot of players, a lot of people every week are like, get rid of Jones. Get rid of, I think he's doing a, a, he's playing a role. And he's doing it very well. He adds that uh, experience to the team. And um, I think we've found a new role for him. And, um, you know, as long as he's he's still doing it and playing his role, I'm happy for him to be in the team. I don't think he's uh, detracting from anyone or taking a position from anyone at the moment. I don't think at the moment, I don't think they're just playing him until, until he gets to that 300. Mm. And it shows the importance of having that sort of player who can do exactly as... Um, as in you know, multiple roles, he can do it, give players a chop out. You know, some of those the the statistics on time on grounds really interesting. You've got um, you know a number of players 100 percent. Tomlinson, Lever, you know, Langdon up around 100 percent game time. Even um, Track and uh, Oliver high, and then you've got a bunch around the 50 to 60 percent. Well, if you're going to do that, you need your players like Jones who can come on and give players a chop out. You can. Who've got the ability to to play in unusual positions or the wing, the halfback, and um, yeah, he's, as you say, Andy, he's, he's doing a job uh, and um, doing it week in week out, and he he must be one of the most durable footballers Melbourne had. He doesn't seem to get injured very often. That that's the critical thing, isn't it? That um, for a, from a coach's perspective, if you've got a player who can uh, fit into multiple positions, um, it makes the coach's position very very um, easy in, in that sense. Um, yet you, you can't afford to let's say we lose a lose a midfielder or two. Where do where do you find the next one? Well, you've got a, a Nathan Jones sitting ready to go straight in there as needed. And yeah. when we were talking about Melcham, you know who who would otherwise come in? Well, we've got the Sparrow and you've got a Chandler, but but just as equally, um, they're Jones, not pushing yeah. Jones out as well. You know, so um, uh, yeah, all, all praise to him. All and he he will get to his three hundred uh, no matter what. Um, and that that's great for the club as well. We we need to change a lot of things that just haven't been happening for the last ten years, and that's one of them. Getting getting some records up on the wall it's just um, enthuses the supporters. Yeah, I mean, look, if I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but if we do win this week, um, and um, you know we're going into that game undefeated, um, we've got Oliver just resigning. Um, and Jones playing his 300, that suddenly becomes a big game of footy um, for the Melbourne Footy Club. And, uh, you know, obviously we don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but it looks like if it, from you know, what I've been seeing, it could be back to 100% um, at the footy. Yeah, um, yeah I, want to, I want to see that because I don't want to deal with Tika Tech anymore. <laughs> Well, I, I have said it on the I, I've said it on this podcast and I've said it on Demonland. I still think at least initially they're going to still make us go through this ticket tech uh, for tickets even at a hundred percent. I think they want a bit of control. They want to know how many people are going to the games. They want to know 
for catering. Some I mentioned perhaps for, you know, so they can close off the top level if they need to for, you know, so that they can save on cleaning costs. <laughs> I think we, the, between the venues and the AFL, um, they want to keep a bit of control over it. And that's not, I don't think, a political thing. I, I think uh, they're just liking that at the moment. So I, I don't know. I'd, I'd just like to be able to buy a ticket with my credit card, which they refused this week. Why, why is that? I have got no idea, no idea. I could buy a ticket at the at the solitary outlet they've got in the city with the same credit card, but I couldn't online. Mm. Well. <laughs> I reckon blame the umpires for that one. Yeah. <laughs> There's no umpire to complain to, though. That's the trouble. <laughs> All right, let's, uh, let's move. Unless anyone's got something else on any other players you want to bring up. Well, just the only just Gus, we t- I talked about him briefly, but he's actually, as the police fly past my place, the um, uh, Gus is is being really flexible in the way he's being used. And similar to Jones is that they've, um, you know, he's primarily been a winger, but he's role to go down back and um, to sort of play that role. And I think, you know, that there's been no talk this year on Demon Land or, or elsewhere that I've heard about, well, the only spot he can play is in the deep, in the midfield. And I think uh, that was a bit of a knock on him that I, I had a knock on him for, you know, you play where you get a game, I reckon, at this level. And he seems to have taken that approach and, um you know, I think he's an important player. He's quite his disposal is a bit iffy, um, but you know he's no Robertson Caruso there in our team. So, but he makes good decisions often, um, and he's a sort of a glue player. I reckon he's he's smart, and um, you know I think he's well liked at the club. And um, uh, yeah, I, I've really enjoyed the way he's going about his footy this year. Yeah, agreed. All right, let's uh, let's move on. Uh, uh, it was a disappointing. Uh, Dee's had another game on the weekend that was quite disappointing. The AFLW were they were bundled out, um, bundled out of the preliminary final, and uh, I thought, you know, I thought we were doing all right in the middle, but every time we kicked it forward, it was just a brick wall, and it just kept rebounding straight out. Uh, we just couldn't get anything going in terms of scoring. We just bomb it in. Get kicked right back out, and then eventually in the third quarter, the the floodgates opened, and Adelaide put on a few goals, and it was just sort of an insurmountable um, mountain to climb to get that back, particularly playing interstate. And uh, uh, George must be you must be devastated. Yeah, it was very disappointing because the girls have played so well this year and really deserve to be up there, but they they ran into um, Adelaide, which. Uh, 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 premiers two years ago and, and um, unfortunately uh, the Adelaide that they ran into had Erin Phillips playing back again at her very best. Mm. Um, Fantastic, wasn't she? Yeah, she, the two goals that she created um, on her own effectively were the, was the difference at the end of the game. It was almost like a, re, a, a rerun of the what we've been hearing about the men's side in the last couple of years, even a bit of it this year, is in order to win gas matches, you've got to kick goals. And when we only kick one goal in the final quarter, um, we were never going to win it. Sadly, Tarrant, I think it was in the uh, in the first quarter, missed <laughs> missed kicking from two metres out. Um, if that had gone in, uh, if she kicked that goal, I think it would have changed the whole focus of the way the, the team was playing. Um, 
you, you can't play three quarters of a game and not get a major on the board. It just it just is depressing to the to the players. It takes away the enthusiasm. Get a goal in early on in the first, and they're up and running, and they. Uh, you know, high-fiving each other and getting the enthusiasm, but it was never there from right from the start. And, you know, let's, let's face it, they'd won five games, I think it was, in a row um, against, you know, three of the, the other t- top four sides. Um, uh, it was a pretty good effort and, and pretty hard. You know, they didn't get the easy run into the finals that others managed to get. So well done to them. Um I, I think for next season, what we desperately, desperately need is a is a someone up forward, uh, a full forward target. Uh, Cunningham, I uh, I think they learnt certainly early on in this season that she just hasn't got the strength to be able to hold that position down to make any serious um, impact in the game. So um, yeah, we'd be looking for I think a, a decent forward target. Bannon might come good. Uh, it's only her first season and uh, she's still only 19, I think. But, um, yeah, all, all credit to the girls. Well done. Um, you did very well. Um, you just ran into, as, as Andy described it, a brick wall on the on a good day for them. It's not surprising that um, uh, the results finished up that way. In any case, it would have been nice the other way, but um, that's that's the way it falls. Mm. It's uh, it's interesting. The uh, the women's club just posted to Instagram not too long ago a clip of Daisy talking to the girls after the game, and I nearly had tears running uh, down my face because they were absolutely shattered. Uh, Daisy was crying, uh, all the whole you know fighting back tears, voice cracking up. Um, many of the players were in tears, and they looked genuinely shattered. And I think it came from, I think they had a genuine belief that they could go all the way this year and uh, to fall um, as they did on the weekend. And, you know, it was quite emphatic in the end. Um, I think that would have been a bit of a shock to the system. And, um, yeah, I I felt gutted for them um, to see that footage because uh, they really looked like they they felt like they had a shot at it. Yeah, I had a... It reminded me a bit of that Collingwood game, but I, t- I had a flashback. It reminded me, for all the world, of the um, of the um, preliminary final from two two thousand eighteen. It from ten minutes in, it, it I just had that feeling. There's no way we're going to win this game of footy. Um, actually, if we kicked it straight in the end, we had a chance to at least get close. I think it was was it what was the margin in the end? Eighteen. Eighteen. Uh, Eighteen. Yeah. Um, and we had some very gettable um, goals in that last quarter that we should have kicked. Scott missed a couple and took a couple of amazing marks. But it, you know, even if we got close, it would have been a bit of steel because they were way better. And um, as Andy said, you know, we just couldn't get it past half. But we had, you know, for whatever the reason was, all of our best players were down. Um, you know, Cunningham was pretty ineffectual. Zanka had a probably a worst game of the season, just about. Um, Paxman played well, I thought, but didn't really have any meaningful possessions. Um, and, you know, watching it was just one of those awful games where you just felt watching it that from early on it looked like um, they were going to win and didn't you didn't get the feeling that we were going to be able to turn it around um, in large part because we, you know, I guess we weren't on, but they were so on. Um, and when it's so physical like that in, in the women's game, it's... Um, I guess that's what happens in finals footy at any, you know, 
it goes up a notch with pressure. But, geez, they were incredibly ferocious. We had no time and space at all. We couldn't get any of those linking handballs up that's been such a hallmark of our game. We've been so good at transition this year and they just didn't allow us that we were making mistakes that we hadn't been making. And, um, yeah, I mean, it was, for me, the game was summed up by that god-awful collision between, was it McNamara? And I don't yeah, the um McNamara and Randall, I think. Oh, was. That was a sickening clash and it was sort of, I know both of them were, were injured and both went out, um, but it was, yeah, that it was not a, a great watch. Um, that Randall's one of their best players and uh, she's now going to miss... Um, missed the grand final. I know it's probably not a consideration for the AFLW, but uh, they've been talking about it for the um, the men's game. Uh, uh, you know, we have the bye pre-finals and they're discussing whether they move that to uh, a bye, you know, pre-grand final. What are your thoughts uh, on, on that just in, in general? Um, and then I also saw a list today of all the pl- amount of players that have gone down with concussion in the men's, it's quite a long list, uh, and May is on it twice. Um, uh, George, yeah, I, I, I think I'd, as, as a preference, I'd prefer to see the bye before the grand final, um, simply because we want to see the two best sides in uh, with the best players available on the field. Um, the concussion side of things has to be taken seriously. Um, so when they've got a twelve-day rule in place. Um, have the buy in there just to just to make sure that both teams have the best opportunity to get their players in there. Um, I think it's more important for the grand final rather than worrying about whether um, uh, players are being rested in round twenty two, round twenty three. Um, it may not be a good look, but um, uh, we really don't need to have the rest given to people who are going to be in an elimination finals rather than a grand final. So that's that's only a preference at the moment. Doesn't it create a problem for a side that finishes, um, that, that wins the second semi and then has a week off anyway? Aren't you then potentially um, the better sides are only playing two games over four weeks? Three games. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. It, it, it does. Um, uh, uh, this list players who have suffered concussions this season May times two uh, McIntosh, Stanley, Mills, Rockliffe, Kelly, Webster, King, Maine, Murphy, Fife, Walker, Schultz, Cunningham, Taylor, Zerha, Langdon, Hannon, Cunningham, and Lemons. That's 20 players. Uh, well, that's May twice, so 19 players um, with concussion in four weeks. Uh, or I guess they're including the, the preseason as well. Um, yeah, it's quite a list. Mm, the, I, I saw that um, title on Demonland and I thought I'm not even going to open that thread because talk about getting ahead of yourself. I was thinking, oh, you know, we're well, already right. <laughs> no, no, no. I, will, I will just say I wasn't bringing that up. That was occasionally we can discuss general things in the AFL. Yeah. I wasn't, me of all people, Mr. Pessimism. Yeah, we're getting ahead of ourselves. <laughs> Yeah, you can, you can guarantee with our MFCSS that um, if we got to the grand final, there wouldn't be a, a week's buy and we'd lose three players to concussion in the uh, preliminary right. final. So I haven't given it any thought because I didn't open the thread, didn't know what it was about. But I agree with – I'm not a fan of that break. I know that people like it the, the um, week before because of the of – the, 
the sort of spanner it throws in the works and the potential discipline. I mean, you should get some advantages if you've got through fit to the end of the season. And I think, you know, the one before creates a real um, dilemma in terms of the sort of disadvantage and advantage. I mean, the other thing too, what about the team that, you know, that means everyone gets a rest. And one of the benefits of of um, winning that the prelim and coming mm. through from one thingo is that you've only yep. played the games and you've got that rest. That's an advantage that you well earn to finish up the top of the ladder. And that's completely mitigated if everyone gets a week's break. But having said that, I mean, a problem for them is, and I was thinking about this on the weekend when May went down, if with a 12-day automatic, if you can cuss someone the week before a big game and you happen to be playing them in two weeks or in the, you know, the in the lead-up or, you know, does it open up the questions of, I mean, I guess that could always happen, someone deliberately injuring someone, but concussion's a bit different. You just give them a clobber, you know. If that's an automatic 12-day. Yeah. Now, look, I, I don't know if people are going, you know, you could then you open yourself up to, to, to missing a player. Yeah, um, yeah, out of suspension. Yeah. So unless you just bring someone in, just just to, uh, I've been watching too much conspiracy um, TV. <laughs> I think so. Um, before we go into you know, just the preview of the Hawthorne game, there was another big uh, big news coming uh, out of the Demon camp this uh, week with the um, stepping down of our. Uh, our president, uh, Glenn Bartlett, uh, and handing over the reins to uh, it's Kate Roffy. Is Roffy uh, uh, said it? Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, I got that right. Yes. Um, so, uh, what what did we think of that, Grape Viney? Um, sort of came as a bit of a shock. It was a was a bit of a shock um, coming off the back of the elections uh, recently. So, um, and there was no uh, no hint that it was coming. Um, uh, I saw Glenn said that he's cooked and very tired and it's time to move on. Um, I agree. It's time for um, for fresh eyes and a fresh face. Um, I don't know a lot about um, I don't know a lot about Kate, but apparently she's got a very good um, track record of delivering major projects. I think she was involved at the tennis center down there in um, delivering one of those courts. so, um, that's the kind of expertise that we need. Um, I'm sure she's got more strings to her bow than that. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, as I said, I don't know too much about her, but I'm looking forward to her presidency. And um, uh, great to have the first female president in the, uh, in the history of our um, storied club. And um, I'm not surprised that the media took that sort of gender angle to it, um, given, you know, our traditional... Association as you know, um, being establishment and probably a bit of a, a boys' club. So, um, if she can shake that shake that up along the way too, then good luck to her. Uh, George, uh, your thoughts on? Yeah, Glenn? it was interesting and unexpected. Um, uh, Glenn, uh, I think was it was it at the members' night? Um, he he looked horrible. Um, or was it the AGM? I can't remember which one. He he really looked like he'd been put through the ringer. There's some there's something going on in the background there, um, but it just might be that um, uh, what for whatever reason he just can't spend the time uh, that's required, and it 
while it's a voluntary role that does take up a lot of people's lives and it's very emotional. Um, so uh, if he's decided it's time to go on, then it's a, a good good time to go on because you don't want a, a walking dead president for the next eight months um, as the season progresses. So um, uh, it's a good time to uh, make that change if that's the way he's feeling. So uh, very, very, very pleased that uh, we've got a, uh, a lady leading the club now. Um, it's becoming the um, something that the AFL as a whole and the clubs as a whole have needed for a long, long time. Um, I, I looked through the um, Richmond board this week. I think they've got three or f- I think they've got four women on their board. For example, um, it's about time this change has come in. Um, Women are fifty percent of the population, and and certainly a sizable amount of the football crowd every week are the same wives and and girlfriends that that we all hang around with, and they're following the football just like we are. So great, great to see, and um, I hope Kate can finally get this home training base problem that we've had f- uh, for the last thirty plus years sorted out. Um, that will be the real feather in her cap if she can pull that one off. Um, uh, I've been to too many AGMs and had these promises coming from presidents after presidents, including Glenn, to say that we're going to do something about it before the end of my term. Well, his term is now finished and it's still still not finished. So, um, uh, Kate, we're depending on you. It's interesting, just in the, um, actually in the Clayton Oliver thread, Ivor Warren-Smith has speculated um, in relation to somebody else's comment about um, talking about Gary Pert, and he's responded, watch this space, strong mail that there is another major change in the wind. Mm. Mm. Okay. It's about uh, 20 minutes ago, so that's fresh off the uh, fresh off the rumour mill from Demon Land. Um, right. It's interesting just talking about the gender side of things. It reminded me many years ago, Brad Green was talking about women in football. I think it might have been about the time that Peter Searle was um, breaking new ground as a coach and he was asked whether, um, you know, a woman would um, be senior coach of an AFL team um, at some stage and he said yes. Um, he thinks that there'll be a, um, a woman coaching soon or someone with a woman's background. Yep, yep, uh, yep. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking about that. Someone with a woman's back. It was a mistake what he said, but um, <laughs> I was trying to work that. Um, yeah, I, I think just a a, um, a bit of slip of the tongue there. But um, anyway, moving on. Um, <laughs> I think the the pleasing thing is that it wasn't sort of a board spill, you know, when you're losing games and and uh, you know, to strife at the club that a sort of peaceful handovers always always welcome. I think it might but, have been just engineered to look that way. It sounds like um reading between the lines of um what was sort of said on T V and in the papers today that he'd lost the support of at least some of the other board members. So um I think it's yeah. it all looks very good, but it might not yes, might not all be saying. that rosy behind the uh, behind the scenes. That's fine as long as it doesn't affect <laughs> yeah. the on field, and that's all, all that matters, really. Well, credit to Bartlett for not letting it, um, for not pushing it, if if that is the case, um, because mm. uh, people can hold on and it can can get messy. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, 
the question mark came about the timing of it. I heard that a number of times in the in the lead up. Um, um, listening to the radio because now that I'm listening to <laughs> sport again, but talking about the timing of it, being curious. We, you know, we're going three zip, and you know, it seems a strange time for your, for your president to step down. Um, but the point is a good one in terms of well, it's actually probably a really good time because you're getting good. You know, it's getting, it's not going to create a problem, is it? When you the focus is all on the winning. Um, I don't, you know. I I wonder how much was in it. We talked about it on the podcast last year, and we all had our different views on the um, on how clever or otherwise his um, comments were after the port debacle. Um, I pretty clear then it was. I don't reckon it was such a good move, and it's interesting that one of the things that's come out was that um, it upset uh, Goodwin and certainly impacted the relationship. But I guess that's a pretty obvious. But um, you know, it's a hard. I don't really you know have enough information to assess his performance but we're definitely in a better position now than we were when he became president um and so i think credit has to be given to him for incredibly tough gig i think i read on demon land um uh, that at the president's lunch he, he just said that he was exhausted uh and that he doesn't have the energy and um uh, i think that probably picks up your point um he's not i think he made a comment about people are saying he's not looking well and that that's he's tired and needs a, a proper break was the comment. Um, he can't be, and apparently wasn't very happy about. He said it at the lunch um, about the leak um, and the fact that Jay Clark um, announced it ahead of it. It was supposed to be announced um, with no one knowing or and no one external. And Goodwin said that he got an email that late on the previous night. So even internally, they were keeping it on the down low. So. Uh, he would have been pretty furious that someone leaked it, not with Jay Clark. I mean, that's what a journo does, doesn't he, uh, or she? Um, um, but the fact that someone obviously leaked it to Jay Clark late at night um, to get it ahead of the announcement—that that's pretty poor form. So, no uh, chance yeah. that Bartlett leaked it himself. Uh, uh, <laughs> well, he apparently was pretty furious. The comment was who someone at the lunch on Demonland said he was furious, so he, he was then sort of that would be quite Machiavellian, I guess. But yeah, I guess who knows in politics. Um, but with Kate Roffey, I think that, like you said, great. I mean, she's got a fantastic history by all accounts in getting major projects up, and those sorts of projects really require um, high level skills in stakeholder management and and, yep. and really good collaboration and. And I reckon that's a bit of a gap. And it goes back to my criticism of the club's communication to the most important stakeholders, which are us, the fans. Um, and, you know, the work that she's done with the Western Sydney, uh, sorry, the Western Melbourne soccer stuff is all about fan engagement. That's the who you need to engage with. So I would not be surprised if she comes in and makes some pretty significant changes to communication. And, um, you know, it's interesting that Bartlett didn't do much communication and he's one big of bit of communication that he did about the football um, blew up like a bomb on the footy club. And and because we're on demon land and we're looking for all sorts of, of omens and uh, uh, examining animal entrails to try and find trends, um, you'll recall that in 2013-14, Richmond, uh, I, I know from sort of my inside knowledge, they had a board that was heavily divided and they elected Peggy O'Neill to the to the role of president and uh, 
they then brought on a, in a bloke called Brendan Gale to run the club, and then they brought in a couple of coaches of Lepic, Ratton, uh, Rutten, and Carousella, and uh, three years later they're playing off in premier for premiership. So we we expect exactly the same sort of returns from from Kate. Yeah, hopefully it's not three years. Though. Yeah, on a shorter <laughs> time frame, exactly. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. That, that's what we can hope for. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, as I as I'm quickly sort of fading here, let's uh, let's move on, um, and we'll talk about um, uh, the the match coming up. Uh, uh, Viman, I might throw it to you in a moment. Uh, you're very good with the tactics. Um, I, I, look, this this is where my MFCSS is is going to start to come up. I'm being a lot more confident uh, this year. Uh, I actually went into the Geelong game with some confidence, uh, which shocked me. Um, and this game, I'm very confident, but I'm also my MFCSS is at the back of my head screaming that this is the, exactly the type of game we would drop uh, in the past. But I, I'm also, this is a game we should win and win win well. Um, how do you see it playing, playing out? Uh, I think it's a reasonable concern um, about our performance. One of the positive things about this week is that that's what the media will be saying, is the talk will be about this is exactly the sort of game that a team that's drinking its own bathwater gets ahead of itself, yada, yada. Um, yeah, don't trust us yet. Don't trust us yet. Gary, I mean, Gary Lyon's bound to say it is. <laughs> no, I don't trust them yet. And it'll, I'm sure it'll be poured over on them. Um, Probably on I'm sure. I'll prepare my um, commentary already, but the, uh, um, you know, I think that it is a, a danger game. Any, you know, they've talked about it all season. You only have to be off two percent, um, and you know, he's not um, a magician, Clarkson, but he's definitely tactically pretty strong. Him and Scott are the two coaches who are most. Um, I guess, likely to use opposition strengths against them or, or play that, you know, build their tactics in response. Whereas Melbourne, my point earlier is that identifiable brand, um, I'm just going to make a Star Trek joke about the three phases um, the, between defence and transitioning the ball and up forward. We don't change that. The only change that we make is around tempo. Um, so this whole palaver about no B, plan or whatever, um, I think is a bit of a sort of furphy. Hawthorne do play with different sort of A and B. It's the way Clarkson um, plays. So, you know, he they may come out and try to run us like um, um, and and transition the ball super quick, which is I, I suspect is what they'll do because they're just going to play into our hands if they play slow and chip it around. They're not good enough side. They've, 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 not got, they've got too many poor kicks for that model to work anymore um, to make a, you know, to make a dint that you've got to be a West Coast with that level of skill for that model to work. You can even see it with Geelong how often, as George noted earlier, with pressure on the ball carrier and the receiver that they were turning it over a lot. Uh, Hawks are pretty woeful, to be honest, kicking-wise. So I suspect they'll come out and won't play the way they did against Geelong and they'll look to, you know, play youthful, aggressive footy like they did in the second half against Essendon. Um I, it won't help, though. They won't be able to get through. And I think that's the thing about having a system. It's not so much a men mentality. Of course, you need them all up. But when you've got the best teams have 
by and we talked to Andy a couple of weeks ago about that documentary. That was the thing that was most notable most notable about Richmond is the players buy into the system. Melbourne have got that now. So even if we're down a bit, you can rely on the system to protect us a little bit. Whereas previously if we're down a bit, the system falls apart. And so even an average team can can beat us. So, you know, I expect we'll win. Um and, you know, I probably look forward to us winning by four or five goals and people complaining that it wasn't a twelve goal win. I'll probably be one of those, uh, George. Yeah, I think someone on Demon Land said it quite succinctly that um, uh, we need to beat Hawthorne simply because um, we we would otherwise expect to be beaten by teams like Richmond and like uh, the Western Bulldogs because we know that they're seriously good sides. Uh, if we want to be serious contenders in this season of 2021, then Hawthorne is one of those sides that we just have to beat. Uh, uh, I think we've got, as, as uh, Bim Manjir said, we've got the right systems in place now. Um, Hawthorne, are, Hawthorne are not what they used to be by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, they, uh, they really haven't got a forward line. Uh, they depend on their small runners to get their goals. Um, as I said, Moore kicked three goals this week and the rest of Hawthorne's goals came from uh, single goals from mainly their midfielders, people like the uh, Wingards and O'Meara's um, getting one here and there. They just haven't got a target up forward to kick enough goals to win a game. Um, just as equally down the back, their back line is dependent on that chap called Frost. I don't know where he came from. <laughs> um uh, Jath is proving to be a very good defender in his own right, but uh, without Sicily up there to be the, the glue that's holding the back line together, that it's just all headless chook stuff um, that uh, we know Frost can play so well. Um, and the rest of their back line are, again, small. So uh, I think they'll really, really struggle to firstly kick a score, but also gives us the opportunity to really um, hammer home some advantages that we've got this week. Uh, their mids don't worry us. They've got a, um, they've got McAvoy and Segler as rucks, but I think we've got the the pair in Gorn that, and Jackson that could more than accommodate them. McAvoy's been lucky this year because it's it's only a couple of games into the season, but um, he he's getting a little bit long in the tooth, and and the pressure of football will get to him as the season progresses. But um, uh, yeah, we're in the right position to win this game, and we should. Yeah, and I reckon a good, solid, sort of scratchy, I mean, God, <laughs> it is, it's a new world, isn't it? But like a solid win that, um, you know, we don't need to come out and beat them by 10 goals to prove something. I mean, of course, that would be great if that's what happens and our percentage would be all the better for it. But, you know, the good teams bank these games. That's the point you make, isn't it, George? The, yeah. In a, you know, you look at Richmond, they win these games. And so when they have the sort of game that against Swans that where they get taken apart, they're rare and far, you know, when they happen, that's sort of a way outlier. Um, and so serious teams don't drop this game. You don't have to win by, you don't have to play Hollywood football and win by 12 goals and the, the gap between the two teams is evident. You know, a scrappy 30-point win, 25-point win, whatever. Um, you know, you get your four points in the bank and you um, move on to, to the, you know, bigger and better things. Um, a, you know, a loss wouldn't be great uh, in terms of the opportunity loss, but um, 
you know, and where it puts us. But it's a huge opportunity, isn't it? That's the other thing. To go five zip up and bank 20 points at this stage of the season um, means that finals are almost a lock, you'd have to say. There would be very few teams in the history of footy that have won the first five and not made finals at the very least. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a, an important game. And I think the advantage is exactly that point you're making, George, is, you know, they, they don't really need to motivate them. They'll be saying serious teams win this sort of match. You're a serious football team or are you? And this team, I think, are pretty committed to um, to showing people that they're, that they're a serious team. And, um, you know, there's been a lot of talk about the team element and how committed they are um, going forward and, and, you know, the words seem to be backed up by our actions this season. And the, the other interesting thing about our current position is that we're two games and percentage already inside the top eight after after four rounds. the the rest of the The rest of the teams are so even throughout the whole lot that here's here's a real opportunity, as you said, to um, almost guarantee a final spot because people are just going to start uh, knocking each other off and nobody getting uh, enough games under their belt to finish where we are at the moment. It's just a remarkable position after four rounds. Yeah, funny you should say that, George. I was thinking that um, after the looking at the ladder after the Geelong win, it's a massive... Uh, we've got a two-game break on some of our key uh, rivals, even you know, teams like Brisbane and Sydney and um, I think West Coast. How many points are West Coast on? They're only on the two wins, aren't they? So, um, yeah, it's a really it's a, a lot of things have fall of cards have fallen in our favour this season with um, injuries to opposition players, suspensions, losses of teams, uh, teams losing games they shouldn't. You know, our competitors. So, you know, you got to strike while the iron's hot and take advantage of every um, bit of good luck you can get. I reckon. Well, I hope the club has fired up the printing press for those uh, finals brochures um, since you guys have, have already uh, claimed uh, that's where we're heading. Yeah, I are um, already talking about with our fitness edge not to, um, you know, have that week before the grand final because that would, you know, d- d- disadvantage us with our incredible fitness. Now you're talking grand final. <laughs> um, yeah, I just want to, uh, you know, how many times have we played Hawthorne over the last decade plus? Yeah. And they've just absolutely mauled us. Uh, wouldn't mind a bit of revenge. Uh, let them be cellar dwellers for a while and uh, cop it at the MCG. Uh, saw too many games where Buddy and Roughhead just tore us apart. So uh, bring in Bren Brown and uh, let's see him uh, wreak some havoc. Uh, Graveliney, do you want to add anything before we wrap it up? Uh, no, no. Uh, great analysis from Bidman and George there. Um, I'm more of a sea ball, shout ball type supporter. I <laughs> can't see any of those tactical things, so I'll leave it to the experts. All right, guys. I'm going to end it here before I uh, before I fall asleep and it's got nothing to do with uh, with your analysis of, of the game. I, I'm, uh, I'm fading fast. Uh, uh, with whatever I've uh, got. All right. Uh, thank you, guys. Uh, thank you, Big Man. Thank you, George. Thank you, Great Viney, for joining us. And uh, yeah, let's go, D's, and we'll, we'll see you next week. Go, Riddle. Come on, D's. Come on, D's. Come on, D's.